Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Um, today we've got on the podcast a, 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 a longtime friend of the pod, friend, friend of online, um, Mr. Christopher Hooks, uh, who's, who's a, a, a Texas uh, roustabout um, journalist, writer, uh, man, yeah, editor at large for, for just the Texas people as a whole. You know, man, I man think, about town, man about town. Yeah. So you know, when you turn when you turn fifty, they're going to give you your own F one fifty and your own uh, cowboy hat and your own belt buckle that's precisely the size of your head. And and so preemptive congratulations to that, Chris, and and thanks for coming on the pod. F one fifty. I don't want to drive something that small. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's good to be here. I have a lot of words to add to my business card. Yeah, it's the least um, we could do. Yeah, and uh, anyways, to get us started here, um, so so, Chris, I, th- I would say fair to say you're a sort of like uh, a state political reporter for the most part in in Texas politics, which is a incomprehensible shit show that you know inscrutable to outsiders it's sort of like the 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 polish parliament in the 1600s <laughs> um, but i like that uh they there there has been an an even maybe much bigger shit show in the texas legislature over the last sort of couple of weeks to a month ish something like that i've not been watching it super closely to be perfectly honest because it's very confusing but um, why we wanted to have you on was to to sort of explain this story, which is hilarious and interesting, but then maybe sort of we'll get into the, the implications of it later. Sure. Um, and so if you could, maybe you could start out by laying out the players uh, in this this ridiculous story and then tell us what happened. Okay. Well, um, Texas has been a, a one-party state since uh, basically like 1998 or 2003. Um, Republicans have won everything forever. Um, There are much redder states that regularly elect Democrats um, than Texas, but the Texas Democratic Party has just been completely shut out of everything since at least 2003 and maybe before that. Um, And... um, that's for a lot of reasons, I think. But the, the main effect of it has been that um, uh, the only political uh, contests that matter come in the Republican primary um, between uh, kind of two big tribes in the Republican Party, which have a lot of different players. But it's mainly like the really simple version of it is that it's basically like Chamber of Commerce Republicans um, who uh, maybe don't don't really give a shit about gay people, but like want to make a lot of money and um, and uh, uh, you know are fine with the government helping them do that. And then a kind of um, what maybe we used to call like Tea Party Republicans, uh, like pretty people that are pretty on the far right, like people who are super Christian and really want to do culture war and don't really give a shit about the people making money. Um, and um, uh, in two thousand nine. Uh, well, in 2008, um, the Obama wave year helped Democrats put a lot of people in the Texas state house. Um, they didn't win outright, but they got 
pretty close. And they teamed up with some Republicans to elect a speaker that was part of the Chamber of Commerce crowd, this guy named Joe Strauss, um, who uh, is uh, from San Antonio. He's, uh, his family's into horse racing, I think. Um, and uh, he's just kind of he was like a more moderate Republican who gave Democrats a lot of committee chairmanships. And, um, and uh, that turned out to be really consequential over the Obama years um, because uh, um, some of the states that went really far right in the 2010 election, like Oklahoma and Kansas and some other places, just like absolutely shredded public services in a way that Texas was sort of able to avoid. Um, and Joe Strauss helped kill some some really right-wing social legislation. Um, he didn't kill everything, and his, his house was pretty conservative. It just wasn't as conservative as it could could have been. Um, so some really peculiar rich guys, particularly this one oil man from Midland named Tim Dunn and a couple of his friends, um, funded to the tunes of to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, uh, a sprawling far right uh, campaign to get rid of Joe Strauss, um, who they hated for several reasons. The sort of the mostly unspoken one is that the guy was Jewish and they wanted a, like a Christian guy to be speaker and, and um, do Christian mm. things. Um, because the Democrats couldn't win anything, uh, the, the only thing to watch was this fight between like Christian warriors and the kind of Chamber of Commerce Republicans. And um, it was an important one to watch because it ended up having pretty significant like policy implications in the Texas legislature. Um, and at least for some of the time during Obama's presidency, it was unclear who was going to prevail. Um, this was a, it was a really weird time in Texas politics. And the, um, the, the, the guys that were trying to replace Strauss brought up a lot of eccentrics and kind of unusual people, I guess, to, to put it mildly, um, to like run against uh, moderate Republicans in the Texas House and try to knock them out. And sometimes they succeeded. Um, uh, this went on for years. Tim Dunn spent a, like significant part of his fortune to try to do this, and, and they ultimately uh, um, were, were not able to get rid of Strauss. Um, he resigned uh, in, uh, he announced his resignation in 2017, and he, he, uh, he left um, uh, soon after. Um, he was replaced by his kind of second in command, uh, a guy named Dennis Bonin. He was this um, young uh, veteran of the Texas House uh, who um, had uh, um, was considered to be like a pretty smart guy and kind of like a killer. He was like he was pretty aggressive. Um, he was the smartest guy in a lot of the rooms that he was in, and he knew it. Um, he liked to fight with reporters, and he had uh, he had initially kind of the reputation of being kind of a bully. Um, but he eventually like overcame that, and when Strauss stepped down, he became speaker. Um, uh, the leader of this really uh, kind of sprawling effort to get rid of uh, Joe Strauss, um, uh, the guy that Tim Dunn was essentially like entrusting a lot of his money to, is this guy named Michael Quinn Sullivan. 
Um, and he was uh, eccentric in a lot of the same ways that the far right people he was in, um, trying to promote were. Um, a long time ago, he was a newspaper reporter, and then he worked in Ron Paul's uh, district office. Um, I believe about the same time that those really racist Ron Paul newsletters came out. Um, oh, I don't know exactly what the story is with that. Uh, but um, he kind of did a lot of nothing for many years um, in politics and then and kind of popped out of nowhere as the, the kind of uh, the field marshal in charge of this this effort. He has this group called Empower Texans, um, which is kind of like an ad hoc media organization. And they like, they do, they write stuff and like try to, um, you know, get their, get their message out there. They also endorse candidates, they fund candidates, and they're closely allied with a lot of other groups that happen to be on kind of the Texas far right, including groups as like, as eclectic as like the Texas Homeschool Coalition, which um, has a, like a surprising, had a surprising amount of influence here for many years. Um, and, uh, like Texans for vaccine choice and, um, like women on the wall and, you know, these kind of these tea party groups it, it was this big kind of messy coalition. And usually like Michael Quinn Sullivan and Tim Dunn were somewhere like a couple steps away from Wait, it all. <clears throat> Chris, what, what is, uh, Texans for vaccine choice? What, what, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Uh, people who oppose the um, terrible government mandates which threaten the integrity of our bodily fluids. <laughs> I don't know. Big government, big government, uh, you know, at it again, forcing you to get the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've, they've sort of they've gone away a little bit, I think, but there's still a substantial kind of vaccine skeptic uh, community. Um and weirdly, they all seem to be on the right in the legislature, even though most of the people in real life who don't get vaccinated are somewhere on the political left. Crunchy. We call them crunchy woo-woo. Crunchy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, the kind of the main story in Texas politics for 10 years, uh, almost 10 years, was this fight between these two big uh, coalitions. And um, the Obama era came to an end. And um, uh, Texas politics started to look more competitive. Um, uh, 2016 was not a good year, was not necessarily a good year for Texas Democrats, but it was a year that they made some surprising gains. And it seemed to indicate that um, Trump might prevent an opportunity to them in that like a lot of new voters and uh, like non-white voters and young voters that that uh, maybe did not come out in the past might come out because they hate Trump. And, um, and also that a kind of, a lot of kind of like respectable, uh, like white suburban voters who may vote for the Republicans, mostly for like pocketbook issues, like hated Trump enough that maybe something interesting could happen. Um, yeah, just, um, uh, sorry to interrupt here, but it's an interesting fact factoid, uh, that, that, always that baffled me when I saw it on the night of the election was that Hillary Clinton did better in Texas than she did in Iowa, despite not campaigning in Texas, like at all, really. Um, she, she only quote unquote, but she only lost by nine points. I think she lost Iowa by 11 points, which Obama won, you know? And so that's, that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And, um, it was really kind of a shocking night here. Like I, um, I, I went to uh, an election night watch party in, in Houston in Harris County, uh, the like local Republican Party, um, where a bunch of like big statewide uh, Republican officials here, like Dan Patrick, who's like a super, super right wing guy, 
um, were going to be gathering together to watch the election results. And, and to my eternal shame, like I went thinking that it would be like a fun night to watch Trump lose uh, or like a fun place to do that. Um, and I have uh, I have ever since been convinced that I had something to do with uh, Trump winning. Um, but uh, they people there were happy, but they weren't that happy. Um, because the Republican Party in, in Houston got absolutely fucking wiped um, in a way that they never had before. And uh, Dan Patrick, this right-wing guy whose son was a local judge, uh, lost his local judgeship as part of this enormous um, blue wave. And, and uh, some of it was like Democrats turning out their like, core voters in a way they hadn't before, and some of it was um, these like, traditionally Republican kind of... Uh, um, uh, you know, like lawyers and doctors and professionals and other kind of people in the suburbs, um, uh, just like turning away from the party. And um, if enough of them did that and they did it consistently, Democrats could do something interesting because they kind of like they have to be building at both ends. They have to be getting the people on the left and the people in the middle. Um, and they seem to do that. And then they did it again in 2018. Um I had been really like pessimistic about the near-term future of the Texas Democratic Party, and I like kind of remained so through basically the election in 2018. But it ended up being a lot better for Texas Democrats than I thought, um, and um, they won a lot of uh, uh, interesting elections, um, and. Uh, um, Maybe the main opportunity that presented itself was uh, they won 12 seats in the Texas House um, to take 67 of the uh, 75 that they need to have the majority. Um, and if you went down the list and looked at every state house district that they won by or that they lost by less than five points, if the Democrats were somehow able to flip all of those districts, they would have the majority in the state house. Um, and it's hard to overstate what a enormous like psychic uh shock that would be to texas politics just in terms of convincing people that texas politics is competitive that like candidates should run that political consultants should come home and join campaigns um that there's like exciting things to do here um and also because it's uh, a redistricting year next year um the ownership of the texas house would let democrats have some influence in drawing congressional districts hypothetically um, there's a longer story to that. Uh, um, but uh, this freaked out Texas Republicans a little bit. And they decided that the, uh, the, what they absolutely needed to do is maintain the Texas House. Um, and so Dennis Bonn and this, like, uh, the smartest guy in the room reached out to Michael Quinn Sullivan, um, the, uh, the leader of this far-right faction, and brought him in. And apparently uh, offered him a deal. Um, and the deal was that if uh, empowered Texans and Michael Consolvin would um, direct money to target 10 incumbent Republicans in the Texas House, um, uh, the speaker, Dennis Bonin, would give Michael Consolvin's group press credentials to cover the next legislative session. Um, and to, and to be clear, empowered Texans, you mentioned that's the, the sort of like dark money group that, that Tim Dunn runs, right? Yeah. That he, that he okay. funds. Yeah. Um, 
uh, it, yeah, it's sort of like the mothership far right group in Texas. Um, right, right. Okay. And, uh, and what they have wanted for a long time is press credentials to cover the legislative session. And uh, the fear among people that don't want them to have that is that they'll use the press credentials to get on the floor of the Texas House and push their issues to lawmakers directly while they're taking votes. Um, and so that's something that they've tried to get for a long time and has been bitterly opposed by a lot of Republicans in the House. Um, uh, so Bonin came to them and offered this, apparently, allegedly, um, in exchange for empower Texans agreeing not to go after anyone else in the Republican Party, but to target these 10 Republicans that Dennis Bonin wanted to defeat um, for re-election in the Republican primary um, and this was a, the idea that he would do this was kind of shocking because, uh, the house speaker, Dennis Bonin had, um, uh, publicly indicated that he was not going to tolerate anyone in the house trying to unseat anyone else, that he was going to try to reelect all Republican incumbents. Um, and that's what he was 100% focused on. Um, and, uh, he, as a fairly popular house speaker, he was guaranteed, he was almost guaranteed to be. Uh, made House Speaker again in the coming session. Um, unless, Chris, is this right? Unless the Democrats took the House. And so it seems like he wants to target these 10 because he thinks their opponents would be better, uh, would give him a better chance of ensuring that? Or or what's the rationale there? It's it's hard to tell. Um, he, he, has, he has fought with some of these uh, Texas House members in the past, but it's it's not at all clear to, I think, anyone right now what he would have gotten if he had unseated these guys. Um, the only, it seemed like the only way that he could lose his speakership is if the Democrats took the House. But the kind of second threat is if the Democrats join with dissident Republicans and elect a speaker in the same way that they did in 2009. Um, and so it's not in, it's not in Bonin's interest at all to be alienating incumbent Republicans. Um, and, uh, the, if word of this deal got out, a lot of Republicans would be pissed at him for meeting with Michael Consolvin at all because they hate him. Um, but also the idea that he had broken his word and was trying to take out incumbent Republicans with the help of this guy that a lot of people hate, um, would have been tremendously politically damaging to him. Well, it's a good thing that Michael Quinn Sullivan is very trustworthy and known to be, right? <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, he is uh, he is probably yeah, he is not someone that you would want to take a meeting with. Period. Probably, um, he is not somebody that you would want to come to with a a, a potentially illegal deal, um, uh, or offer a bribe that, if revealed, could potentially be a felony of some kind. Um, Michael Quinn-Sullivan has been public about the fact that he hates, uh, he really, uh, his groups really do not like Bonin, um, who is kind of an inheritor of the, the moderate regime of Joe Strauss. Um, and um, so when he, when a month after this meeting, he, he came out and alleged that Bonin had offered them this deal. Um, I think there were a lot of people who were curious about what the truth was, but it didn't seem to be something that was that plausible. Um, it didn't seem like Michael Gonsalvin would lie about it because it was too big to lie about. Um, clearly they had like, they had met and something had happened, but it, 
it boggled a lot of people's imaginations that that Bonin would offer what was in fact uh, a bribe, like um, a bribe for a, uh, a a payoff that, if revealed, would be hugely politically damaging to him. Um, and so initially, the speaker and uh, another Republican that was uh, the speaker sort of denied that this had happened. Um, and he released a couple of statements that were that were sort of denials, but very curiously worded. And he didn't seem to address the core accusation that Michael Quinn had made. Um, they were Clinton-esque, if you will. They were Clinton-esque. It was very, um, it depended, depending on what the meaning of the word is, it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> he, uh, Bonner related a lot of weird details about this meeting that had taken place, but did not address at all the idea that like a list had been, uh, uh, that had been given to Sullivan, like a hit list had been given to Sullivan in the, in the first statement that he made. And then in the second statement he made, he said it didn't come up in our, our conversation, um, which was curious because Sullivan had alleged that Bonin had left the room before this, this list was read to him in the manner of like a mafia boss, I guess. Um, or apparently how Trump does, Trump does things that way as well, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he might not bring the stuff up in the room because he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> dementia, maybe. Um, yeah. So about a week later, Michael Van Sullivan revealed that he had taped the entire meeting, um, which was a real curveball. And that's something uh, um, uh, 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 like a development that was in a way surprising and in a way not surprising because it seemed like the kind of thing Michael Van Sullivan would do. Um, so all of a sudden, this... Uh, Bonin's, uh, you know, potentially most dangerous enemy, I guess, if you want to call it that, on, on, in the Republican right, like announced that he basically had um, uh, a tape of Bonin and uh, his, his allies maybe um, committing a felony. Uh, I don't think we know that for sure. Um, the, the tape hasn't been made public yet. But um, uh, Michael Van Sullivan started letting Republicans in the House and other Republican activists come and listen to this tape. And the word that emerged was that this tape was quite bad. And then in a way, it was maybe worse than Sullivan had alleged. Um, and This is maybe my favorite part. My favorite part might be that he didn't just, like, release it to the press. He invited other Republicans to privately come listen to it. <laughs> like, this, I, this is just, this is some, uh, this is some curious shit. Michael Quinn Sullivan is a messy bitch whom loves drama. <laughs> I know what he's famous for. And uh, he's going to milk this for everything it's worth. Um, and, uh, so he like, yeah, he let, he started letting people in Bonin's own caucus come by and like listen to the tape by themselves one by one. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the word was, the word was, it was quite bad. Not only was the quid pro quo that he offered like quite clear apparently. Um, but, uh, he also said some like really terrible things about, um, other members of the house. Uh, he apparently, um, said that one Democratic member of the House, uh, that his, his, his wife would be very disappointed to uh, learn that he was gay. Um, and uh, he called another member vile and um, said some impolitic things about a number of Democrats and other, other Republicans. And this was damaging because he had kind of like done a very good job of presenting himself as a, like a friendly uh, face and a protector of all, all of the members of the House. Um, so I, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, if you've been following the Texas legislature for a while, it's sort of hard to, it's enormously complicated and it's like, it's hard to translate, but it's just, it's just the strangest thing that's happened here in a long time. Um, and, um, 
Michael Quinn Sullivan is milking this. Uh, um, he might have released the tape eventually, um, or he might not. Uh, the possibility exists that the House Speaker, one of the most important Republican officials in Texas, um, committed a, a serious criminal offense. Um, the <laughs> Texas Rangers are investigating um, and, uh, and are expected to produce a report at some time in the future. Um, uh, Bonin is trying to hang on um, and uh, in a way that's very curious to me because if half of these things are true, it doesn't seem like he will be able to um, maintain his speakership uh, and maybe not even his seat. Well, that's what's weird, Chris. So he has not really denied anything, and yet he, from what you wrote, is one of the people calling for the release of the tape. Wouldn't that be bad for him? Yes. There's a lot of parts of this that don't make sense. Um, <laughs> the theory about one of the theories going around about why Bonin called for the release of the tape is that um, uh, he felt like, for some reason, Sullivan would not release it, and that this the call for the tape to be made public would, in some way, bolster Bonin's case and make him look better. Twelve-dimensional chess, baby. Twelve-dimensional chess. There may be things on the on the tape that that Sullivan does not want the public to hear. Although, right, right. If you went in with the intention of recording it, one would presume that that's uh, that's not the case. Um, I uh, yeah, I, it's just it's just the damnedest thing. Um, and the reason why it matters, like, um, is uh, the Democrats do have a small chance of taking the Texas House, um, and. Uh, the uh, Republicans have put a tremendous amount of effort into trying to present this unified front um, to to protect and defend the Texas House. And uh, uh, this is absolutely the last thing that they need right now. Um, and I have no idea what the fuck is going to happen next. <laughs> is there is there uh, uh, any kind of like indications of of like failing morale. I mean, I know at the national level, what four Texas Republicans have, have announced they're going to retire, uh, after the 2020 election. Right. Um, anything like that happening at the state level? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Republicans are, are seriously concerned. Um, in a way I, they might be more concerned than, than I am, uh, uh, for their chances at this point. Um, but, um, th yeah, there have been a number of senior Texas, uh, members of Congress that have retired and just said they don't want to fucking deal with it anymore. Um, which gives the Democrats a couple of pickup opportunities. There is, uh, there's a couple of, uh, Texas Republicans at the state level that have retired or, or, um, or, or indicated, and, uh, they have an interest in retiring, um, uh, that free up a couple of state house seats that the Democrats might have a chance to take. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that the um, uh, this fight that took place between the center and the right uh, in the Texas Republican Party for for years um, was possible because they had no external threats. And I think one way to look at what Bonin was trying to do was a way to patch over that division in advance of an election that was potentially pretty consequential. Um, and uh, the guy on the far right um, uh, told him to go fuck himself, basically. Um, and that's not, that's not good for Texas Republican morale going forward. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's one of the more confounding things about this, I guess. Well, and one, I, well, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but, but, but my, my, uh, 
my kind of read on on the like center quote unquote moderate business republican texas like gop was like one of their foundational tenets like like a keystone of their political economy and this i think goes goes straight back through to the one party state when it was the democrats back in the day uh was bringing home that pork getting those federal contracts that the the uh the 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 fucking space center in Houston, right? That 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 was, you know, that's jobs, that's business, that's money, that's profits. That is, you know, that is how you grease the wheels of a political machine. And um I think what you know, one of the things that the far right has done is just say, no, we're just gonna make this we're we want poverty. We want impoverished citizens. We don't want business, successful businesses. We don't want any of this federal pork. And just uh, the other day, right, they announced that some big NASA thing, I forget what it is, you, maybe you can tell us about it, it went to Huntsville, Alabama, instead of uh, the Johnson Center in Houston, right? And so, like, how how is that kind of interacting with this, like, just sort of pulling out one of the props of this this whole kind of machine? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think one of the interesting things to watch here since Obama took uh, took office has been um, the, uh, you know, it, it's a very particular political climate if the general election doesn't matter and the Republican primary matters. And in the Republican primary, especially if you're running for a statewide seat, the way to win is just go super far right. Um, and um, people did that with great success. That was what Ted Cruz did and uh, and, and Dan Patrick and other, other statewide officials are indicted attorney general kim paxton um wait is dan uh is dan patrick the lieutenant governor dan Pat- yes and- sorry dan patrick is the lieutenant governor um which in texas is uh arguably more important than the governor um right, right. He, has, he has a lot of powers uh so i so these far right guys um the the equation was that if you go if you go to the right you win the republican primary and if you win the republican primary you win the general but if the balance tips back and the general election starts to matter again, the the formula for winning the Republican primary is different than the formula that it takes to win the general election. Um, and uh, uh, they have a lot of guys are in office now who um, uh, gain office because uh, they were Tea Party guys, they were tax cutters, they were um, super xenophobic, they were... Uh, uh, you know, super Christian warriors. Um, and that's not necessarily what you do as a Republican, even in a state like Texas, if you want to win the general election. And one way that manifested at the congressional level, as you say, is that like, um, uh, um, for many years, like Democrats and Republicans too, represented Texas, like their main goal was to uh, bring pork home all, all the time. And that was that's a big reason why Texas is, is like a prosperous state now is because the con- uh, congressional delegation was bringing back money constantly for universities and research centers and the NASA programs and army bases and whatnot. Um, if you're Ted Cruz, that's not how you you work. Um, and if you're some of the newer members of the Texas Congre- uh, congressional delegation, that's not how you work because you were elected by Tea Party guys. Um, and uh, there has been a... a I would argue kind of a humiliating failure by the Texas congressional delegation in recent years to do, um, to bring home shit for Texas. Uh, and, uh, the, the biggest part of this was like after Hurricane Harvey, um, 
the Texas congressional delegation had to like really like bow before the president and like beg for a moderate amount of relief funding. And it came much too late. Um, and uh, I think there's sort of been a, um, a tension for many years uh, from like this, the Chamber of Commerce crew who maybe don't love Ted Cruz so much, uh, don't love other what other Republicans are doing for the state in, in D.C. And uh, you might be seeing some of that accumulate as well. Um, what happened uh, the other day with the space program was um, they, uh, yeah, a uh, um, Huntsville uh, got uh, the responsibility to design Trump's lunar program, um, which of course is like bullshit. Like, um, you know, <laughs> I think people are pretty clear um, that we're not Trump's lunar program is not going to the moon. But the fact that that Alabama got it and not Texas, um, despite what was apparently some pretty active effort by the Texas congressional delegation, I think poses a question, which is that like um, Texas has been the bedrock of the National Republican Party for for a long time. And um, especially these days, it's hard to tell what the state is getting for it from Republican administration in Washington. And that's not only pork, but like Trump's trade policies uh, are arguably good for the Midwest, but not good for Texas and not good for a lot of the rich people that live in Texas. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, um, a lot of the kind of uh, uh, other um, flagship uh, policies of the uh, of the Trump administration are, are, are not super popular here. And I think that's, that's one of several things that are kind of lining up to um, present the impression that. Uh, that 2020 is maybe a year that some some interesting things could happen in Texas. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this you know, it's like Texas is is sort of like how California used to be for Republicans back in the day. You know, in terms of like money, you know, sort of institutional organizing and so on. Um, but I guess. I feel like this is almost unimaginable for either party, but, you know, if it were to become the case that Texas were to become like, like purple or, or, or dare I say, a, you know, reliably democratic state, that would be sort of the end of the Republican party as a national force. Like it would be virtually impossible to win. Um, And so like, what is your sense I guess to start with, of like, is the the state party and maybe like the national party that that you know of, are they like really worried about this? Like, like you know, sort of groundswell of of you know fresh Latino voters or something like that. What's this? What's the mood there? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think they are seriously concerned, and like I say, like I I, I tend towards. Uh, you know, pessimism on this as far as like democratic ability in Texas goes for <laughs> just like having watched it for a long time. But then I, I, I talked to, uh, um, you know, Republicans I know, and, and I'm kind of surprised by the, 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 the um, subtext of like concern uh, that there is. Um, I think there's a lot of like caveats that you got to put on that. Um, uh, I think for like sure. generally speaking, the, um, the, you know, the kind of the dream of democratic consultants uh, on the national level for a long time has been like exactly as you say that if you flip Texas, you uh, just Republicans can't win the presidential election. And it's it's kind of like in the category of like a grand geostrategic sweep, like 
Nixon and Kissinger turning China or whatever, or um, like the Allies taking Italy out of the war in World War II. And it's kind of like it's kind of like hard for me to imagine that taking place because a situation in which Democrats are able to win Texas is a situation in which they've already won like everything else. Um, yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine a situation in which like the Midwest goes, you know, a significant portion of the Midwest goes Republican, but Texas goes, goes Democrat. And so um, somebody else, somebody is able to squeak into the white house that way. Chris, did it, did it, did it surprise you that Franklin Bynum, who we've had on the pod a couple of times and we love the honorable Franklin Bynum, um, you know, won won that uh, election to, to be a, a big socialist judge for, Harris County, uh, three million Texans under his purview for very important issues. Under his his dictatorship, the, <laughs> exactly uh, the, 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 dic- the dictatorship of the proletariat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Houston, yeah. Houston Soviet. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't follow that race race that that closely. Um, I uh, I mean, it, it was surprising, of course, to see you know a socialist uh, judge win in Texas. Um, I uh, I guess it's it hasn't been so surprising to see. Um, the kind of pattern has has deepened in recent years, where the um, Texas cities are pretty blue, um, and um, sort of the same thing is happening at a local level. Where if you if you win the Democratic primary or you win the um, you know you stand for the Democrats on the ballot, you're you're going to get re- you know elected, um, and uh, that has created a, like a set of really interesting political conditions here, um, which is that there's um, you know the cities are pretty far to the left and. Uh, the cities are where most people live, um, and uh, Texas has like five of the twenty largest cities in the country, I think. Um, but uh, the the kind of baked-in conditions of political competition at the state level are such that it's just um, it's just almost impossible for for Democrats to win any kind of serious um, influence. And so there's been a lot of um, conflict recently between the state government and local governments, among things like um, I, I know you talked about this. Uh, uh, with uh, Franklin and Brian, and Brian um, but uh, the sick leave ordinances that have passed in a number of Texas cities recently, um, uh, and um, the Republican state government has uh, more and more uh, taken to punching down at the left cities and trying to uh, get them to undo their policies, um, and uh, in some cases it even sort of feels punitive. Um, and, uh, yeah. and yeah, that's that's something that's. Uh, that, that'll be very interesting to watch going forward. Some something you know the the thing about Texas that 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 is maybe you know surprising. I mean, I'm not an expert, but but from how I've looked at it, you know, you look at Texas is like Texas. It's not that white. Um, it's it's like sort of in the same ballpark as California in terms of diversity, and yet it's been this conservative bulwark for many years. And one reason is that um you know the the latino population there uh is is fairly conservative you know not as conservative as the white population but like not a not a sort of monolithic democratic block like like uh, african americans um and yet you know with this el paso shooting just to uh just just to you know reiterate this was a thing where a guy drove from Dallas, extremely white part of Texas, to go to El Paso, an extremely Latino part of Texas, just so he could massacre as many Latinos as he could. And with the explicit 
aim of saying we're going to keep Texas Republican by violent terroristic intimidation of the Hispanic community. And like it you have you seen, you know, any sort of ramifications from that? You know, I've seen some reporting that it's just like this sort of shockwave, but you know, how that's going to to sort of like shake out politically, I I I suppose it you just have to see, but any any kind of like sort of tentative like realignment in progress, would you say? Yeah, I mean, man, I can think of a lot of things to say about that. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, one of the really depressing things is like a long, you know, a long-term observer of Texas politics is um, you can clip out portions of the El Paso shooters manifesto um, and match it up almost exactly with like stuff that um, statewide Republican leaders in Texas say on cable news, um, like, you know, a week before the shooting. Um, yeah. uh, and, um, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about uh, why it is that the Democrats are so, um, have been so unable to get traction here in a way that they, they can't in like, uh, in a way that they do in like more Republican states. Uh, um and I, I think part of it is, um, I think part of it is that uh, there's there's kind of a grand narrative that runs through Texas history, um, and uh, and Texas political rhetoric about Texas being a place of the conflict of civilizations, um, and um, like in reality, Texas has always been a very um, diverse place and it's more diverse today than it ever is. And it's sort of, it's at the crux of, uh, you know, um, back in the day it was, it was, people came here because it was at the crux of like North, South and East, West trade routes. And, um, uh, it's, and it's at the, the crossroads of like regions of the United States. And there's always been a lot of, um, kind of diversity, uh, here, um, but a kind of grand narrative thread that runs through Texas politics is, is uh, um, the idea that this is uh, a, a place of, of uh, white victory and um, uh, the, um, the, the, um, a place that white civilization reclaimed from nature and, uh, and, and Mexicans. And, um, and uh that is obviously much less present and less overt than it used to be, but um, that is an idea that runs through most recent political campaigns that we've had in the rhetoric that's used by Texas Republicans, um, sometimes more overt than others. This is something that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has really um, relied on at points in his political career in a way that I think is deeply uh, to his discredit. Um, and you see that exact rhetoric in the El Paso Shooters Manifesto. Uh, and I wish I could say that the language of that manifesto and what had happened in El Paso was causing some kind of a crisis of conscience with Texas Republicans, um, even just the fear that they might pay some price for having used it. But um, it, that does not seem to be the case right now. Uh, the governor, Greg Abbott, uh, recently appointed a task force to deal with uh, domestic terrorism, and one of the members is Dan Patrick. Um, so I, his role in that uh, committee was presumably going to be like the Spider-Man v. Spider-Man meme, um, where he just sits on different yeah, sides yeah. of the room yeah, and points, yeah. 
points to himself um, and says this is a problem. I, I have just a couple anecdotes because uh, my interaction with, with Texas uh, has been very interesting. And just to show how in some ways, and again, this might be a caricature, but this is my experience, there are kind of very embedded reactionary um, just kind of ideologies pervading even those who, who should um, – you know, who should think otherwise? One was on a plane with uh, this guy and his fiancée. We had a few drinks on the plane. He was he was a good old time. Um, and then I'm like, oh, his politics are really reactionary. And then I learned that we were on our way to Texas. He had just gotten out of uh, out of prison, out of a Texas prison. He had just been released. And I'm thinking, man, those politics are really bad for you specifically. <laughs> like, like you, you, like, like your politics would put you in jail for a long time. You know, like I, I was just like perplexed because he was one of those people who had been kind of punished by the system in this terrible way and should have understood how bad that was. Um, and, and then the other anecdote I have is I was driving around for, for research with this kind of small Texas uh, town sheriff. And I was, you know, coming from California. So, so he looked at me and basically the first conversation we had was, so you're from California, huh? Well, <laughs> over, o- over here, we believe that men are men and women are women. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it was like this, you know, whole new universe. And, it, and it, it's, uh, uh, it was very interesting to me. Uh, but like, I think what we started with is important because as, uh, interesting and entrenched as some of these kind of very Texan, um, characteristics might be, this shit show that you wrote about might provide some kind of, uh, I don't know, hope for the Republicans kind of blowing themselves up in a way that gives an, at least a, an opportunity, like crisis leads to opportunity for the Democrats. Is, is there something there that we can, we can kind of latch onto at least? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, that's, that's sort of, um, you know, been the Democratic hope here for like 15 years is that they, the Republic, Texas Republicans have been, so fucking crazy and like they finally crossed the line and um there's going to be some blowback and the blowback never comes um i mean i you know i think the main source of hope is just that like trump is trump is deeply unpopular here in a way that um Mm, is unusual like he his approval numbers are really bad and the last basically good election year the democrats had relative to expectations was 2008 um, when uh, when George W. Bush was super unpopular and, and Democrats won a lot of uh, races they did not expect to win for that reason. I mean, I, I think, you know, in sort of in the longer term, I wonder when Trump is not here and um, and he's not, uh, you know, infuriating, um, a, you know, a certain number of independents and like um, suburban soccer moms, is, is the Democratic <laughs> coalition here going to be able to do anything? And I, I don't know. I mean, I think the... Um, the pattern here for a long time has sort of been like two steps forward, one and three quarter steps back. And um, right. <laughs> I think uh, I think we're getting closer and I think getting closer has positive consequences for like people in real material ways. Um, but um, uh, we will see. I, this is definitely not the start to the election season that um, Texas Republicans wanted. And that's been sure. interesting to see. What what if? Because I always like to punch punch the, the the liberals a little bit. And what if the Trumpian kind of divisiveness leads to an opening, and then socialists like Bernie Sanders and others um, 
actually provide material benefits to Texans that hadn't been provided right by the the liberal oppositions. Uh, is, is there is there hope there that actually like being um, given some real material change could uh, form a new coalition? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um... You know, yeah, it's been interesting. I, as the cities have gone bluer, um, they the Re- uh, Republicans have made a clear attempt to try to pry um, sort of uh, you know nominal liberals away from the Democrats by drawing contrast between them and what they are saying the far lefties want to do. Um, so I, uh, you know, as these sick leave ordinances have happened, and um, as, as some other ordinances that have been passed at the local level. Um, one particularly recently in Austin, um, the, the city decriminal like took off the books uh, a set of criminal charges that police use against the homeless, um, uh, and um, the backlash to that uh, locally has been um, kind of incredible um, from nice. like center left homeowners um, and uh, and and other people furious at what the city council is doing. People who consider themselves Democrats but are think that the city council has gone far to the left, and you see Republicans coming in to try to like um, take advantage of that and and use it as as a wedge issue. So I I, I don't know. I um uh, there are a lot of opportunities for left activists in Texas cities to do interesting things. And so the sick leave ordinances was one of them, um, but the the Democratic success here has sort of relied on being. Uh, acceptable enough to um, mm. people in the Texas political center, and that's like what Beto O'Rourke was really good at here. Um, mm. He was he was able to uh, you know, make some people on the left feel that he was with them, but he was also like speaking in in grand enough and like vague enough rhetorical terms to make a lot of Republicans that voted for Greg Abbott vote for him. And so I think there's going to be kind of an interesting tension going forward between Democrats trying to retain some of those people in the suburbs that hate Trump, um, and while people on the left are doing activism for important reasons to to try to pull the state to the left. And I, I couldn't really tell you how that's going to work out. There's certainly a story you could tell, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, um, create your own kind of counter mythology about, uh, Texas that 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 it's it's about yes white people very important in the history but there's also you know El Paso for instance there have been you know Latinos living there since uh, like the 1500s yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're you know that used to be part of Mexico literally Tejas that's where the word comes from um, yeah. <laughs> and, which is why my, fav- my favorite hat is make America Mexico again and the you know the i mean and so much of this the the western mythology in texas and and in colorado and arizona you know the the cowboy that's the vaquero we stole that from from spain um and and mexico and and you know to sort of like put a new cast on those images and symbols and juneteenth also the you know texas slave state and that juneteenth is huge i wasn't is it not correct that that one of the first Juneteenth celebrations happened in Texas someplace? I may be misremembering this. I think that's uh, right. Yeah, 
Yeah, but certainly very, you know, the history of slavery and the history of abolition, very important in, in this state. So you could tell a story, of, you know, the fact of the matter is Texas is one of the most diverse states in the country. And, um, you know, you could tell a very Texas story that is, you know, maybe even a little bit, you know, triumphalist or whatever, and has a lot of hats and cattle and and so forth in it. That is not that like the Dan Patrick white people are the are the only protagonists of history type of thing, right? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Alexi, this sort of goes back to what you were saying a second ago about that guy on the plane. I mean, you know, I think um, among the many things that the Republican Party has had going for it here is just that they they have this like grand narrative about um, Texas and Texas history. Uh, and uh, and who matters in it, and what the major major things are, and um, you know, as you travel around the state, it's just like um, it's incredible to see how that that history and that sense of history interacts with the like politics and the physical world. Um, like, uh, if you're in, um, if you go down to uh, San Jacinto, which is where the final battle of the uh, the um, Texas Revolution or the whatever it is. Um, uh, took place. Um, it's like today. It's like a huge tank farm. It's one of the biggest petrochemical centers in the world, I think. And um, on these enormous oil tanks, as you go down, there are giant murals of scenes of the Battle of San Jacinto um, in a way that's just like uh, hard to imagine occurring in any other other place in the world. And I think that um, uh, you know, if you could say that there's been kind of like a failure of the big, um, of like the overarching democratic coalition here. I, I think that one of them would be like a failure to put together a story of, of the state, um, that is, uh, uh, you know, has a different focus and is inclusive of these, these people in some way, because Texans love stories, particularly stories about themselves. Um, and I think there's like, there's <laughs> definitely a way to do it. I, um, one of the most interesting places in Texas right now is, is a place called Fort Bend County. Um, which is uh, just outside Harris County, which is where most of Houston is. Um, and, um, you know, a couple decades ago, it was just like undifferentiated, good old boy, um, Texas Republican territory. Um, they went Republican earlier than a lot of places in the state and I think hadn't flipped uh, Democratic in any election since um, uh, LBJ in 64. Um, but today it's one of the most uh, diverse places in the country and like one of the... Um, uh, uh, star features of this uh, of this county, um, which is the anchor of a con- congressional district and a couple of state house districts, is this enormous Hindu t- temple, um, which is built out of what I think is imported Italian marble, um, mm. and uh, it's uh, it's home to um, a huge uh, South Asian population and I think uh, like a West African population it has incredible food, um, and uh, it's um, it's it's one of the most um, you know, interesting immigrant communities in the United States, I think. And um, the uh, Pete Olson, the uh, the um, congressman who represented uh, Fort Bend County for a long time, um, ran against a guy called Shri Kolkarni in, uh, the, in the 2018 <laughs> election. Um, and uh, among other things, uh, Pete Olson called Shri Kolkarni an Indo-American carpetbagger. Um, <laughs> a, a, a genuinely bizarre um, set of words, uh, and and Pete Olson is retiring. He's getting the fuck out of there, and whatever that district is is um, going to be an improvement, I think, on on uh, on, on what it used to be. And um, yeah. yeah, I think like um, 
Uh, Texas is uh, Texas is an interesting place for all its faults, and uh, there's a um, there's an there's a way to build an identity for it that is not exclusionary. I don't know how long it will take to happen, but it will have to happen, I guess. Gotta have hope, Chris. I feel like you need more hope than you have. I know you've been you've been hurt time and time again. Just like the Demo- just like the Democrats have let all of us down time and time again. I get it. I get it. But come on, man. Gotta make it happen. Yeah. You know the sad thing is, this is what feels like hope to me. <laughs> which is, this is what which ho- is probably something Chris I need to like, yeah. talk to my therapist about. But uh, yeah, I feel I feel more hopeful about politics here than I have for some time. I think. As as much uh, as much dark shit is happening here still on a on a near daily basis, uh, we'll see. Yeah. I guess. Cool. cool. Well, um, I've got to take off actually, but um, Chris Hooks, thanks for coming on the the show. We will link to your Texas Monthly article about this uh, this hilarious story in the description. Anything you want to plug else before before we let you go? No, I think that's about it. I, thanks for having me, you guys. It's a it's a pretty complicated story. I don't know how well I explained it, but um, I uh, appreciate the chance to. All right, man. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, man. Hope you come back. Yeah, I would love to. Last but not least, we have a friendly reminder that we have a Patreon. You can support the show with $5 a month and get an extra episode every week. Uh, we really appreciate the support, and it helps us keep this going. 